is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and their effects on our life, our work and our travel in recent times. Today on the show, we'll be talking to Andy Bass, Managing Director of Bass Cluster Consulting in Sutton Coldfield near Birmingham in the English Midlands. Andy works with leaders to boost productivity and profitable growth with a focus on using resources they have already. And in that, helping to find ways to exploit, as Andy puts it, their hidden gold. To that end, uh, he's written two books which have been commercially published, one titled Start With What Works, A Faster Way to Grow Your Business, and Committed Action, The Three-Step Method to Inspire Your People to Take Ownership and Get Results. So welcome, Andy, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks, Patrick. It's nice to be here. So how are you keeping? I'm keeping well, thank you very much. Uh, finally, we've got some sun here, and it's uh, made a huge difference. That, yeah. That's great. Whenever, whenever we chat, Andy, we always kind of touch a little bit on what's going on in UK politics and Irish politics. And we thought with the arrival of Rishi Sunak, things were going to calm down, but the, the fun and games seem to be going on. So what, what's, what's going on over there? Oh, well, I couldn't tell you exactly what's going on, except it just seems like a lot of things that needed to play out continue to continue to do so there's a lot of kind of garbage collection going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway back to back to our stuff uh, to kick off could you tell me a little bit about your your career uh, to date and, and how you came into the world of consulting and how you came to establish your own boutique consultancy practice yeah sure um i started out in computer science and in fact, I was involved in research and computing in, in the previous incarnation, or maybe even two incarnations ago now of AI, which obviously is now, you know, maybe we'll talk about it later on. Uh, but I was involved in what is now called good old fashioned AI, which wasn't as wasn't as intelligent as all that. And uh, so I had a, an academic career. Were these, were these kind of expert systems? Is that what they call yeah, them? Yeah, that's right. If, if people yeah. remember that, expert systems. And actually, the area that I was involved in uh, is still very valid and viable but we perhaps wouldn't hype it up to say intelligence we'd just say it was very clever computing which was planning systems so a modern application if people think about a container port and you know figuring out whether or not a particular container is at the top or the bottom of a pile and when it's going how you're going to get it out and get it onto the right ship that was the sort of application that we were envisaging so but it isn't it isn't as if I put it in quotes, intelligent, like human intelligent, as the sort of chat GPT you're seeing now. It was just very clever computing, if you like. Yeah, that sounds like, um, sounds almost logistical and uh, kind of opt optimization type models. Right. I mean, it's more, you know, I think now you would put that stuff in that category. Uh, you know, the people who are doing that now would, wouldn't see themselves as being in the AI lab. They'd see themselves as being in, I don't know what they would call it, but you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those it's more of an application area than than like a leading blue sky part of uh, part of research these days. Mm -hmm. And then your 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 career from there. Yeah. So well, I, I a funny thing happened uh, because my, I started out doing two really interesting subjects at university, which were computer science. Just you know, when computers was becoming more and more of a thing, and um, and ergonomics which is, you know, the, the application of psychology and human sciences to technology. So actually when, you know, when people were starting to figure out Apple Macs were coming out and things like that and things that people take for granted now were, um, you know, where you, what you see is what you get type of windows and everything was still quite new. It's amazing, isn't it? When you see what Apple are doing now with these goggles that have just come out. Yeah. Um, but at the time we thought it was very, very cool. And um, the guy that had been my tutor ended up, uh, in the business school at Aston in Birmingham 
and they needed someone to teach AI to psychologists. So, um, and my research was going more towards systems thinking and those those sorts of areas. So anyway, I ended up in the business school and I learned a lot about teaching because I can assure you that the last thing that my psychology students wanted to learn about was computing or AI of any description. So I had to learn about lecturing, which actually comes back, you know, maybe we talk about the book later. Mm -hmm. That was actually the, the germ of how do you engage people that are not interested in stuff. Um, and but my th my thing was I was interested. People who know about how the how how academia works will know that they like you to plow a furrow. And uh, in fact, that was what they said to me at one point. Andy, what furrow are you plowing? Literally, and I thought that's very helpful for you to say that to me because I now know that we need to part company uh, because I don't want to be a plow horse. <laughs> I didn't put it quite like that. Them. But I, I, and actually, I still I, st I so I, I left. I still do executive education work. Uh, at Aston and other places as well, sometimes. But so we stayed friends because I got. Have you come across um, Professor Edward Sweeney in your? Yes, of course yeah. I have. Yeah, uh, yeah. Edward, 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 Edward Aston. Edward's been on this show. He's moved. He's moved to um, Edinburgh. Um, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So, so we briefly probably passed in corridors, you know, a few times when I was when I was going in to do the exec ed. But the thing was that. I came across an interesting book by someone you know, uh, Alan Weiss, yeah. called Million Dollar Consulting, and uh, bought the book just off the title, because sometimes you can judge a book by its cover, it turns out. <laughs> and and to, I'll be honest with you, I read this, I mean, we're talking about 30 years ago, and I thought this was fascinating, but not really my world, but I liked the book. And about 10 years after that, I kind of saw the book on a shelf again, pulled it off the shelf and went, right, this is this is like really interesting now. So um I'd learned a huge amount that I wanted to see if it applied in business outside of the, you know, the university and the computing and the ergonomics, which is very, if you think about it, very user focused, customer focused kind of perspective, the systems thinking. I was very interested in communication because of getting getting ideas across to students as much as anything else. And reading Alan's book, I thought, hang on a minute, there could be a market value for this stuff beyond, you know, what an academic was getting paid. So I uh, got in touch with him and um Formed a company with a friend of mine, Paul Klusker. You mentioned the, um, the, the uh, as you always say, we used to be business partners, but now we're friends again. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so and so we we started uh, we started uh, working with businesses and putting these ideas into practice and and learning how to help them with their problems. And you know, twenty years later, done quite a lot of it and um, developed a, a particular approach to it, which I which I'm very enthusiastic about. It's become more and more which is this whole idea that clients, businesses have often got the answers already. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 you know, you, they, yeah. There's a yeah. thing where you help your clients to think about what they already have to improve their condition. But you do stress, I see that you do stress, that it's not just about this kind of bromide of doing more with less. So so what exactly is the yeah. distinction? And how does that manifest? And how do you explain that in your books? And maybe yeah. tell, you, tell us about your books as well. Well, the first, so so I, I say, well, I help I help businesses to find their hidden resources so they can do more with what they've already got, right? So the, the idea is that uh, you've already paid, uh, you've already made investments, whether that's uh, financial investments or just like the sweat investments, right, in the, in the business. And that I just found more and more going into companies that they already had resources that were overlooking or or, or not applying enough. I'll give you a, give you a couple of very, very different examples, just so people have got a clue what I'm talking about. And uh, there are many, many, and I'll, I'll give big company examples because people have heard of them and they can relate 
but actually this is just the same in small business even in even individuals but if you think about lego everybody knows lego but um and probably a lot of people know that lego has a huge adult user community lots of people grown-ups very enthusiastic about it for many many years lego deliberately ignored that community mm. uh, because they had a belief uh, which was we are a children's toy company so adults have almost no business playing with lego because it's for kids um we're going way back now when when in the early 2000s they the company uh went through its sort of reinvention turnaround one of the things they did was to say hang on a minute this is crazy adults i've got a lot more money to spend on lego they'll buy bigger kits they'll be more sophisticated they can even advise us on what makes a great kit and they've even hired designers from their user community and that's led to successful products and so on so when i say a hidden or an overlooked resource that would be that user community would be one example a completely and utterly different one would be you know um kind of chickpeas has got like that cloudy water in it yeah <laughs> you can make uh you can use that as an egg white substitute oh, okay you can kind of uh distill it a bit you know reduce it down and you can make vegan uh food products out of it in fact unilever now do that and they were just throwing it away so it's so, like a natural thickener, is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It actually behaves like uh, you can make meringues and stuff out of it. Okay. It's even more than just a thickener. And, and it turns out, you know, I categorize in my book like 17 different types of resources, some of which are things like insights that you have into the way your customers use your products, um, insights into the way that buyers and sellers might interact in a market, um, products that might have a more useful application in a different area, things that your frontline know that could improve your processes or again could could meet a customer need that you're ignoring there's a whole raft of them right mm -hmm. and i but i've always found it fascinating and and very often people know that they've got them and yet they kind of look almost through them um do you want another example which i think yeah, go ahead, yeah. so if people have got netflix there's a series on there called restaurants on the edge which is a kind of a restaurant turnaround program it's a bit like gordon ramsay's kitchen nightmares but not but without the swearing <laughs> and uh i've only watched one episode uh and on this episode it was a, a maltese footballer by the name of justin harbour and he had a restaurant he was and he, he was very into seafood so he was flying he was flying oysters in from france and langoustines in from norway because these are the best ones right because he wanted it to be the best seafood restaurant but consequently because of the flat all the flying oil stuff in he was losing money hand over fist so the turnaround plan essentially was to point out to him that 100 meters away from his front door was a seafood harbor that was um, pulling, you know, selling sea fish that had been caught that morning out of the Mediterranean Sea. But because his mindset was oysters and langoustines rather than whatever the local fish was, he was missing it. Now, you might it was so egregious that you might think they almost made the thing up. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they did. But the point is, we all do this to some degree, me included, by the way, it's not that I see things in some special way. Uh, it's that all of us can miss or come to appreciate, uh, uh, come, come to sort of we take things, take for, for, granted. Granted. Take things for granted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've had the experience of people pointing things out to me and me kind of going, oh, I didn't see that. And, uh, you know, something, something of value that you have, uh, but you don't, you don't notice. Yeah. Yeah, and this is this is exactly. I'm I'm astounded by how many times clients have already got the answer, and we'll talk for half an hour and ask different questions from different angles, and they'll realise that the very thing they said they didn't got that they didn't have that they were looking for, they actually have. Yeah, um, yeah. So what, what, what kind of people? What kind of people? What kind of companies are your clients, and how would you say they're better off after having worked with you? 
Well, so I've worked with some big companies like Deutsche Bank and uh, Aon, um, and uh, and then the rest, the, sort of my sweet spot really. I like mid-sized companies where I can deal directly with top management without having you know too much politics or decision making resistance. If if you know what I mean, we can make decisions if we find things. Yeah. And in terms of how they're better off, well, it could be new products um, that are easy to to bring or, or, or evolutions of a product or service. So so that means quicker uh, new revenue. And it could be on the internal side that their, their people can improve their operations. Um, so we've done factory improvement using these ideas. And I'm not a factory guy. You know, I'm not a Six Sigma, but we've done stuff where you could see a very, very big before and after uh, in a factory. Uh, and it shows up in in on time delivery, or it shows up in health and safety metrics, or um, you know, so so concrete kind of measures. But what what I've done is created a situation with whoever's running the plant, whereby we can really tap into what the frontline know. And uh, I think a lot of lip service is paid very often to tapping into, you know, the insights of the of the frontline. Um, but often there's, there's just gold there and there are, there are ways to frame and I talk about it in the book. So there are ways um, to make it safe for people and open for people to be able to share those ideas and, yeah. uh, and, and bring them and apply them. And the book you're referring to is start with what works. Yeah. we The stuff we've mainly been talking about would be in, so far would be in start with what works. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And that book, yeah. people, people can find that book, I guess, on Amazon and other online bookshops. Right, yeah. 93.9, Dublin South FM. So uh, we've been through a very turbulent period over recent years, including um, Brexit, COVID, war in Ukraine and so on. But how have you found that this has affected how businesses think and operate in, in the UK? And how consequently um, are you relating to them differently in your work? Well, I think a couple of thing so one is that um people i mean you know the, the the i don't know what if it's the official word of the last year or so but i would have thought the word pivot was like one of the words you know they had these words of the year in these magazines so everybody talks about pivoting and if you're gonna if you're gonna pivot then you need to understand the capabilities the resources that you've got and how they might be able to produce new value so i'm finding that work i'm doing is really helping people to inventory what those resources are and, and create the conversation lower down through the organization as to, well, you know, what, what have we got and how else could we use this? Um, and what, you know, how would it create more value for our customers and getting that conversation going creates again, another buzzword. It creates that sort of agility, uh, the ability to be able to seize opportunities and do all those things that we know you're supposed to do. But sometimes I think people talk about it a lot, but, you know, I try to give people a roadmap for how, uh, the other side, the other thing I, I think is there's a lot of, of changing work patterns. So people are still trying to figure out, you know, how much working from home. I think the, the, the positive um, for those people that embrace it is inevitably you have to think more about the output that you're getting, the outcomes that you're getting from people more than how much time they are necessarily at their computer or at their desk. You know, so there's less counting of inputs and more. Uh, accountability for outputs and in fact i was talking to a guy last week who runs a shared service center for a bank who's saying you know uh, it's great in a way if people need to go and get the kids at three o'clock or something they can fold that into their lives and they'll say to me but i'll work till 7 30 or something he says as long as it's getting done and actually they he's very comfortable with the fact that people can take responsibility for their timing and stuff now i think there are those that 
that can flex to to that management style and those that can't the people that can are other people that are more outcome focused so uh, for the most part i think you know a lot of people are seeing that as as, as a good well i mean what about you you know do you there is a counter argument isn't there that you can't mentor people so easily there are pros and cons to this, but what I find with the younger generation is that they really want and expect this flexibility. And given the way the market is, that if if employers don't adapt to that, lots of them are going to be in trouble because lots of them are already in deep trouble with regard to skills and projects that are held up because they can't find the people with the requisite skills to, to do them. Um, so I think it's going to be... Um, it's going to be a situation where employers are looking to attract people and, and therefore they're going to have to be a lot more flexible than they have been. And some, like the, the one you referred to there, there's a guy who's obviously open to it. And those who whose mentality is is different are going to really struggle, I think. Um, so th- I guess that's within within sectors, um, different countries, I think, have different attitudes to this as well. So it's it's an interesting um, transition that's playing out, but definitely the way people want to work and the way they build their lives, they build one integrated life. Um, it's going to be, I think, it's going to be a lot of interesting changes. Yeah, I, d- I did hear somebody who said that their daughter had just left a job which she liked because she got another job where she could have full flexibility as to how many days she was in or not yeah that was the reason to move and the money was pretty similar i'm I'm hearing this thing so my my children are you know mid-20s early 30s and uh, their peers you hear all the time oh my friend who's working in xyz company he's going to barcelona for a month and he's going to work remotely from there so apparently this is kind of employers are offering people the opportunity to work from wherever they want in the world for one month a year. And people, you know, are taking off, going to Barcelona, going to Lisbon, they're going to Bahamas, wherever they want to go. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was unheard of in our day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think there's a, there is a bit of a generalization that executives want to be in the office and everybody else doesn't. Um, I, I do think that if you're going, there is a, there is a quid pro quo, which is beneficial to employers that, if you're going to if, if people are going to go oh yeah cool i can go and work from home or work from barcelona or something that inevitably it puts a lot more focus on what you're producing yes you know yes. you better come up with the goods then is the sort of other side of it and and you know that will work well for some people yeah it's, inter- it's interesting yeah. there's actually there's a pwc produced this annual ceo survey which yeah. you, may have, you may have come across and um, a large proportion of CEOs around the world, I can't remember the percentage, but it was, it was a high percentage, maybe 40%, maybe even higher, who said that unless their business models change, the companies will not be economically viable within 10 years. So what would you say are the major strategic issues facing businesses in the coming years that those kind of CEOs are concerned about? Uh, AI. I think, uh, I mean, we said, you know, I was involved in in what we used to call AI and it makes what they do, what uh, is available now, what's available to us all now, which is obviously not going to be absolutely on the leading edge, uh, make, makes what we were doing look like uh, children stacking, you know, little uh, bricks with the alphabet on it. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think people understand. Um, so I think that um, throws everything up in the air. Um and the first thing that people have got to do is is learn what actually is 
you know, some people are obviously well well up on it, but I think a lot mm-hmm. of people are kind of a little bit sticking their heads in the sand. And um, give you an anecdote: a guy who's a very senior guy, I know, a recruiter, was going to be on a panel one evening, and he he um, he just dropped me a line saying, "Hey, you've got any ideas for things I can drop in tonight? You know, uh, for this panel that I'm going to be on." So I I said, um, "I'm really busy, but just give me a second, and I put it into Chat GPT, and it came with some fact. And I said, "What about these talking points?" I said, you know, give me talking points for a senior recruiter for a panel discussion. And he sent them over. He said, those are fantastic. Uh, and I said, it took me three minutes. How long would it have, how long would it have taken one of your assistants to do it for you if you delegated it to them, you know, half a day? Um, so I think I think that's probably the biggest one. I mean, and then, of course, you know, going into your more your, your you know, the multipolar world and, you know, energy, um, those, those are the, probably the two, energy and climate. Maybe kind of switching now slightly, uh, Rhythm, what would you say is the most important life lesson that you've learned that stood to you throughout your career? So you've been in academia, you've been in business, uh, you've been in the private sector, you're running your own business. So along the way, what would you say is the most important life lesson that you learned? Ah, that's a great question, which is always something you say while you're just stalling for time, isn't it? <laughs> uh, like a, the other one from consultancy is, well, it depends. <laughs> um, I think from a business or career point of view, you've got to have, a, and this is more and more true, you've got to have very, very wide source of inputs and get multiple perspectives on things. Um we were talking about Aston University and I was just chatting to their alumni um, organization just, just, just recently. Someone had said to me, you know, you should have a friend in every decade. Yeah. Right? And I, I, that's yeah. a very, and I think, okay, you know, 30 years ago now nah, it wouldn't have really mattered very much, but I think now you really do. So uh, that's a great thing to have. And the general principle is, you know, what, what widen, however wide or widen your range of inputs, get different perspectives on business decisions career decisions um obviously you still have to make your own decision at the end of the day um but i think i think it's probably that patrick <laughs> that, is, that is really really interesting because as you as you move through your life if you're not careful you you lose track of the generations coming behind you, the decades coming behind you. Yeah. And now that, well, I'm in my 50s, I'm not sure about you. But I yeah, so, so you've got, so if, if you just focus on your own, you've got the 40s, the 30s, and the 20s behind you. You've you, you got three decades coming behind us that it's very easy to lose to lose track of, right? Yeah, and there's a lot, you know, your people will go, oh, I don't, you know, it's very easy to dismiss. Oh, I don't know what. If I say if I dismiss TikTok, I'm sure there'll be people who'll be laughing at me that I'm talking about TikTok because it's probably old news and, the, you know, but it's yeah. so easy to say, oh, I don't do this. I'm not interested in that. Like the guy that I did that thing with, with ChatGPT, you know, the talking yeah. points. Of the yeah. Oh, he said, oh, no, I've not got into that at all. Well, he really ought to, Um, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're a you're a successful uh, person. Um, you've built you've built a career, but as we know, success isn't a straight line, and everybody faces setbacks in their career and their life along the way. So how, how do you approach setbacks when they come? What do you do? What do you say to yourself and so on to get yourself back on track when that happens inevitably, as it does? I actually think it took me quite a long time, honestly, to really get the idea that setbacks were inevitable and that. Um, you know there's a range within which if you're doing business 
you know, things are going to go wrong. Sometimes you think you got a piece of work and it doesn't happen or a project, you know, hits a political roadblock. And these things happen all the time. And um, I think it took me, I think I was a bit of a slow learner, <laughs> if I'm really honest. So uh, you're nodding. So I don't know if you if you recognize that. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. The, well, the reason I'm nodding is because I do recognize it. Yeah, it resonates yeah. quite a bit with me. Yeah. And so I think that um, that's a maturing kind of a process. You know, maybe we have the idea that things should go smoothly and uh we I don't I, I, I don't know whether you agree with this but it may happen to those of us who come up with a kind of a technical education you know and work so we're kind of mathematical and analytical and you know you have a formula and you put this with this and this happens and so on but the real world isn't isn't like that and perhaps perhaps subconsciously that gets into us and we think the world is, is like that even though in our heart we know it isn't but then we struggle we struggle perhaps when when we have to deal with it yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, obviously a, a computer science education really exacerbates that because, okay, you find bugs in your computer program, but the fact is that um, you know that you get the logic right, it will work. Yeah. You know, and it ought to work and there are consistent rules by which it will work and the world outside of the computer doesn't doesn't behave like that. So I, I think that's right. I think that um, that's taken me a long time to realise. So I am, I am, I think, more... Uh, accepting than I used to be of those things. Uh, and, you know, I think sometimes just you have to have things that you that inspire you or whatever, and you go, if you go back to them, you can kind of, you, you know, consciously kind of reset, kind of consciously reset. A bit like, you know, the advice they say, if your computer doesn't work, switch it off and switch it on again. So sometimes you just <laughs> yeah. have, to have a couple of days off and then reboot. reboot, reboot. Yourself, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Reboot and, and reboot and start again. The faster you can reboot yourself. Uh, yeah, better. yeah. And then outside of work, in terms of hobbies and interests, what kind of things do you like to do, do get up to when you're not working? Yeah, well, I'm a very keen guitar player. I've been playing the guitar for 45 years or so. Uh, unreconstructed you ever play, you ever play with Stuart Cross? He's another business consultant who plays the guitar. Oh, yes. I, yeah. Um, yeah, I know he actually he actually sort of does it, has a photograph of himself jumping up like... That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I sort of, I like classic rock, you know, and I've played in bands over the years and stuff. I haven't got time really for that just at the moment. I mean, me and my brother say we, we, we used to have a band together. We used to have a Rush tribute band, if that would mean anything to, to anybody. Um, um, and we keep talking about it, putting the band back, back together. together, you know. Yeah, maybe come we'll. back to so it. So I like to do that, yeah. <laughs> um, are you reading, listening to anything lately you find particularly inspiring that you'd recommend? In podcasts or anything like that? Well, I really... Love Rory Sutherland's work. I don't know if everybody knows Rory, who's the vice chairman at Ogilvy. Uh, and he's a, he's got some great TED Talks, a big TED, uh, not TEDx, but the, the main stage TED. So he's a very, very original thinker about uh, obviously advertising, but business more generally, human behavior. Uh, he brings a lot of behavioral science, behavioral economics stuff into understanding and behavior and influence and he as well as that so he wrote a book called alchemy which is the surprising idea as the surprising power of ideas that make no sense which is about how sometimes an idea doesn't fit our theory but actually is right which is an important idea and he also wrote a book called transport for humans too which uh, i really like because it's, he has some very counterintuitive solutions to to things like public transport problems so if you want something that will make you think from a different angle and he's very entertaining too. So you'd find if you looked at him on YouTube, you'd enjoy it. 
Rory Sutherland. Rory Excellent. Sutherland, yeah. So how can listeners find out more about, about you, your your books, your yeah. uh, your business and so on? So the, the books are start with what works and the other one, uh, committed action. So those are available at Amazon, etc. And um, they can visit my website and I've got podcasts, uh, one which will soon feature your good self and um, articles and, you know, the usual sorts of information and, and, and uh, some sample chapters and things. That's at Bass cluster.com excellent so uh and many thanks uh for being with us here today it's been a pleasure to go on chatting to you forever but as always we're yeah it's we're always beating, great to chat we're beating, we're beating by the clock so um thanks again Look oh, forward thanks to ever so much for asking me Cheers you're again. very welcome you're very welcome and thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today and be aware that if you enjoyed this episode you can find a full series of over 120 episodes of interlinks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and other major podcast platforms. Until next time, keep well and stay tuned.